thing on wheels. Good morning. Well, it's another Sunday, right? Another Sunday to come and worship God through His Word. I have a question for you this morning, though. When was the last time you really, really needed mercy? Think about that for a second. When was the last time you really needed mercy in your life? It sounds like a strange question, but really isn't when you truly stop and think about it. We, we tend not to look at mercy in, the, in everyday life, and we, so we don't really think about it too much until we absolutely have to have it. Everyone needs mercy at some point in their life, and God is the great mercy giver, amen? And we'll see that in our passage today. We'll be looking at Psalm 123. Pastor Joe asked me to preach on this passage, and I read it. Um, I've read it before, but when you're going to preach on it, you really have to look at it. And uh, I was like, ooh. I thought, this is not going to be an easy passage to preach on. But as I prayed about it and sought God, which I should do that, I think we all should when we're going to look at His Word, I began to see an unbelievable teaching right in front of my, right in front of my face. This psalm has an unknown author. In the exact situation, we don't know exactly. But the Psalms 120 through 134 are called the Ascents Psalms. These Psalms were collected during the pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. The word ascent means to go up, which at the time the Babylonians were defeated and then allowed the the exiled people to return back to Jerusalem, to their homeland, where the Temple Mount was to be rebuilt. They all had heavy hearts, that time because they, their hearts were not right with God. They also had to go through pagan lands which left them empty, but also persecuted and taunted by all who were against them at that time. They knew they needed the mercy of God if they were to continue that journey back to Jerusalem and build the Temple Mount. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 123, and let's read that psalm together. And uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Unto you I lift my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to our Lord our God, until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your inerrant word, which was written so long ago, but which applies to so much of us today, and what we live for, what we die for, Lord, in between all those pages of our life, Lord, we know that you are a part of it. You, are, you, you began life, and you will end life. But Lord, you are eternal, and we thank you for your eternal word, which you give to us, your people, so that we may follow you in obedience all you have for our lives. Help us to understand that this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we get into our passage, we need, we need to understand what biblical mercy is. And uh, I have a commentary I'd like to read for you. It's just, it's a, not very long, but it's kind of wordy, but it's, uh, I think it applies to what we're looking at today. It says, Christianity is unique in that God's mercy is shown through his justice. 
There's no setting aside of justice to make room for mercy. The Christian doctrine of penal substitution states that sin and injustice were punished at the cross of Christ. And it's only because the penalty of sin was satisfied through Christ's sacrifice that extends his mercy to undeserving sinners who look to him for salvation. As Christ died for sinners, he also demonstrated God's righteousness. His death on the cross showcased God's justice. This is exactly what the people, what the Apostle Paul says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In other words, all the sin from Adam to the time of Christ was under the forbearance and mercy of God. God in his mercy chose not to punish sin, which would require eternity in hell for all sinners, although he would have been perfectly justified in doing so. Adam and Eve were not immediately destroyed when they ate the forbidden fruit. Instead, God planned a redeemer in Genesis 3.15. In his love, sent his God his own son, John 3.16. Christ paid for every single sin ever committed. Thus, God was just in punishing sin. He can also justify sinners who receive Christ by faith. God's justice and his mercy were demonstrated by Christ's death on the cross. At the cross, God's justice was meted out in full upon Christ, and God's mercy was extended in full to all who believe. So God's perfect mercy was exercised through his perfect justice. The end result is that everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus is saved from God's wrath and instead experiences his grace and his mercy. As Paul says, since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath that's what mercy is. Biblical mercy is the, just, is the justice that God doesn't give us. Okay, God's not forgetting about his justice. It's still there. But he's granting us mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. And as we see in this psalm, they didn't have Jesus Christ yet. So what did they have? Well, we'll find out. First, so we, we gather together a little bit what the what mercy, biblical mercy is. Let's look at the Bible then. What is mercy? Well, Mercy is the outward manifestation of pity. The best Bible verse to reference that would be Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to go to there. I'm going to read it in a second if you want to follow along. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. And this is what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So there you have it. There's a New Testament biblical definition of mercy. But what's what about the Old Testament? Well, <clears throat> that's when things started really getting interesting for me, anyway, as I started digging into this telling my wife some things that I didn't realize uh, about mercy and has to do with the tabernacle. 
and John and I were just talking about it before, but in the book of Exodus, in chapter 25, verse 18, it talks about none other than the mercy seat. Okay, what is the mercy seat? Well, the mercy seat is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which was placed between the law of God inside the Ark and the holiness of God outside the Ark in the holies of holies where God's presence would be to commune with his people. It has been said that the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant is the footstool of God. When you want to know about mercy and you ask God to show you, well, get ready. He'll not only show you, but he'll demonstrate it for you, what mercy is all about. The more I study this attribute of mercy, that is a part of God that drives him to have pity on those who absolutely seek it from him, the more enthralled I became to know more about it. We see from this song the people who wrote it were definitely seeking mercy from God because they needed it desperately. They were just released from being held captive for 70 years inside the Babylonian Empire. God had released them because God keeps his promises, and so he did just that. He let them go, and now they're headed back to Jerusalem in order that they might rebuild a temple that was destroyed 70 years earlier. If we recall biblical history, the Israelites were released from another time of captivity from the Egyptians, which was 400 years of captivity and cruel slavery. Why all this captivity? Well, one simple word, disobedience. Not obeying what the Lord their God had commanded them to do. Each time God had pity on them, and another that's the word that fits for our word mercy, God had always intended to have a relationship with his people. And the mercy seat, which we just talked about, was a major part of the tabernacle that was to be built so that God could have a place to dwell with his people. I'm just going to go off a little bit here and speak a little bit about the tabernacle because one of the things that really struck me was just how detailed our God is. You read the book of Exodus and how they're supposed to build the temple. You read all the, the things that God wanted Moses to do. And then Bob said, did he write this down? <laughs> was he writing this down? Because there were so many things that God wanted Moses to do for, to build this temp, this tabernacle. I was just taken back. It's like, wow. Our God is a very, very detailed God, a very ordered God. He has order. And the reason he has order, I believe, is because it's always best to do things in the right order. Then you're going to come out with the best result. And I believe God wanted to show mercy to his people through that tabernacle, through the mercy seat. Because he wanted to have a relationship with them. He wants to have a relationship with all of us, with you. You may be sitting here today, maybe you're feeling distant from God. You really don't know if he's there for you, when you're going to need him in times of trouble, and you need mercy, or you need his grace. Well, they were not obeying. They were not obeying what God wanted them to do. So God had disciplined them. And the ark was the centerpiece of that meeting place, which the people through Moses would have enabled to have mercy flow with them wherever they sojourned in the Sinai Desert. Biblical mercy, mercy is a characteristic of God because he is the father of mercies, as is stated in 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It is interesting that wherever you find the words mercy and peace, they are found together in that order, except in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 16, which I will explain later on in this message what that means. 
as the Bible clearly shows, mercy is the act of God. Peace is the resulting experience in the heart of man. Let me say that again. Mercy is the act of God. Peace is the resulting experience in the heart of man. Are you experiencing God's peace in your life? Or is there disorder and disarray and you don't have peace? That's a question you need to ask of yourself because are you receiving the mercy of God? Do you have the mercy of God? Is it flowing through your life in your everyday life? That too has a perfect order and it comes from God. There are three applications I would like to draw from this passage. One is Recognize the need for mercy in your life. Recognize the need for mercy in your life. Go back to verse 1 and 2 with me in our psalm. And it says, I lift up my eyes. Now that phrase, the lifting of the eyes, is an expression of anxiety and helplessness. In Psalm 121, the psalmist lifts his eyes to the hills in search of security and protection. In this Psalm 123, it's in the timeline, really, of the building of the wall in uh, the book of Nehemiah, which I found interesting. <clears throat> the enemy had kept the walls in ruins so that the Jews would not have a safety net or protection from the opposition. The security and protection the Jews sought, what the psalm suggests, is found in God's presence as experienced in the Jerusalem temple, speaking of Psalm 121. In Psalm 123, 1, however, the eyes are not lifted to God's dwelling place in the temple but to God's heavenly abode, enthroned in heaven. They saw or experienced through testimony the destruction of the temple, so they were not looking to that, but to the direct access to God and his heavenly realm. That's where they were looking. The next verse exclaims an example of a servant looking to his master and a maid looking to her mistress. This gives into the images of vulnerability, dependence, obedience, God is truly our provider of everything we need in this life, then we must acknowledge his mercy. Humble ourselves and ask in prayer for God to cover us with it. It's really amazing to me to think of these people journeying back to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity, seeking God on their way, asking for something they know God has, even after experiencing what they went through. Most of these people were probably children of those who died in captivity. There's 70 years. Some of them probably died, had children in the Babylonian Empire. Think of that. These Psalms of Ascent are a proclamation of God's people that He is their God and they are His people. So I have another question for us. When in our life do we recognize God in that way? That He is our God, we are His people, and we want to do what he wants us to do in our life, and we want to obey his commands and receive his mercy in our life. When do we recognize this from God in our life today? How do we seek God as with a heart as they did and with the hope that they had and know that the mercy of God is in our lives? You know, doesn't it seem at times like one day flows into the next with all the business of life? I think sometimes as Christians we overlook the miss and miss opportunities or, or maybe take for granted the mercies of God in our lives. The nation of Israel had done this over and over and over again, neglecting their relationship with God the Father to the point of no return at times. We need to ask the question, is there a possibility that we do the same in some circumstances in our own lives? I would submit to you 
I believe we can't run the race, the race the Apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament, or for sure finish the race without the mercies of God covering us from day to day. I like this quote I read recently. It says, grace describes God's attitude toward the lawbreaker and the rebel. Mercy is his attitude toward those who are in distress. In the word 2 Corinthians 1.5, God states, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is in abundance through Christ. We are to suffer for Christ in this life. We are. But we can also expect the mercies of God to cover us and give us comfort when we need it. We can ask for God's comfort and mercy to cover us in time of need, but it must be dealt with a humble attitude brings me to my second point. We need to humble ourselves in the sight of God. Look at verse 3. It says, Have mercy on us, O Lord, in capital letters, that, and that means Yahweh. In the Old Testament, they, they wrote it out that way. They did not want to write the name of God as Yahweh. They said Lord in capital letters. In the New Testament, it's Adonai. And really, it means salvation. It means, have mercy on us, O Lord, salvation, have mercy on us. They were asking for mercy, but they were asking it with the right attitude, with a humble attitude. Because that's what God requires of us, to walk humbly with him. We see the mercy of God and scorn being contempt thrown at them. In verse 3 and verse 2, they are looking to God and they will wait for him to grant them whenever he is ready to deliver it. They're asking, but they're, they're waiting on God. They're waiting for him to deliver it. We must understand this can't be a demanding attitude to God to grant comfort and mercy. Our hearts must be right with him so that his mercy can flow down to us in our lives in times of need. This brings me to continue with the explanation of 616, which I promised before, which combines the two most important words of mankind, which are peace and mercy. Man is always, uh, in, the, in the depths of his heart, really wants peace and he really wants mercy. And the order of these two words are important because they coincide with the message of salvation. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is straightening out some false teaching that is happening in the churches there to those who were uh, saved, both Greeks and Jews, which led some of them to preach another gospel. Peace and mercy can only come to those who walk according to this rule, and that is, according to the message of salvation by grace through faith alone. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. This blessing is pronounced on believing Galatians and on believing Jews. This brings me to my next point about humility. God's mercy only comes after God's grace for the one still searching for salvation with a humble and contrite heart. Let me say that again. God's mercy only comes after God's grace for the one still searching for salvation with a humble and contrite heart. The psalmist is looking for God's mercy. And he has the faith to look to the Lord, Yahweh, which the spelling, as we talked about, refers to salvation, and to wait upon God until he has mercy upon him, precluding them from salvation. In fact, the Messiah has yet not come, as we said before, in the time of the writing of this psalm. So how did the people get saved? Well, the Old Testament tells us with, uh, with Abraham, what, is, what, what does God tell Abraham? It is a credit to him to righteousness by his faith. It is a credit to those who have faith in, as righteousness to them. 
That's how they were set apart for salvation. And that's the mercy of God flowing down to them. And it's found in a humble and contrite heart, faithful heart of those who look to their God in time of need. Are you looking to your God in your hour of need? Are you? What is your need? What is your need? Salvation? Compassion? Mercy? Grace? All of the above? The people who sang these songs of ascents lifted their eyes to the Lord, Yahweh. They knew where to go to receive complete compassion, mercy, and grace. See the same regard as those who had, um, those who had gone up to find the mercy they so desperately needed. We must understand we can't have the mercy of God until we place our trust in the grace of God by faith alone in God. And that message came because Jesus Christ came and died for it. So where are we at with that? And number three are my last bullet point here can take from this is receive the grace, peace, and mercy of God right now. Do it right now. Receive the grace, peace, and mercy of God right now. We don't have to wait any longer to have this blessing from God. Jesus came, died, was buried, and on the third day he rose again to deliver all that and more. What's needed first to have this? Look to our last verse in this psalm. What does it say? How do they, how do they end this quest for mercy. They recognize their need to repent and turn back to God and trust in what he can do for them and not to their own ability to save themselves. In the book of Ephesians we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The psalmist knew that the grace of God was there for him to grab and take hold of and trust in. They knew it. They said, until he has mercy on us, we will wait upon him. We will trust him, him alone, to do this. We must do the same, Jesus Christ. Now this, is, now this scripture speaks both to the saved and the unsaved. Let me be clear about this. The saved are born again, new creations. And the saved know this because God has placed it there for them by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. They only need to acknowledge his mercy, ask for it, and they receive it freely. The unsaved can have the same as the saved, but they would need to ask for the grace first. The grace is what we just read in Ephesians. You get it through faith, faith in Jesus Christ alone, which he has done for you already. It's already done, folks. It's a completed deal. In the book of Romans it states, but what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. But if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. God desires a relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. He really does. And if you have that today, great. Fantastic. Live it out in your life. Trust him. Ask for mercy when you need it. If you're here today and you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I think you know who that is, because if you have, don't have Jesus Christ in your heart, you're not going to have the peace of God that when you die, you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And you're kind of doubting, where am I going to go when I die? I would venture to say you're probably not saved. Because I know for certainty, if I were to just be 
killed right here, right now, I would, I, I would be in front of Jesus Christ. And he would say, well done, good and servant. I know that in my heart. And you know that today. Don't leave here today without knowing that. Because God wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to have his grace, his peace, his mercy. And he'll, he'll put it all there into your heart in a nice neat little package by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, because Jesus came as a man. He was born as a baby, grew to be a man. And then he nailed him to a cross, as we just sung about this morning. And then he was buried and then the tomb was empty. And on the third day, he rose again, resurrected. Wow. And there is so much proof to that, you, you can't dispute it anymore. There's so much proof. They're finding more and more stuff every day. They're, they're, you know they're always digging for more manuscripts, and they're always finding more. I hope you know that. There's, there's people in Jerusalem down in these dungeon libraries you know, opening up these old manuscripts with thick glasses reading stuff from that was written thousands of years ago. And they're piecing it all together. And you know what? Folks, this is real. This is not nothing you just believe. Jesus Christ lived on this earth as us, as God. And then he died a cruel death that he didn't deserve. He took it on for us, for you, for me. And he was lashed out at you. He was scorned, he was spit at. And all of God's wrath was poured out on him, and then at the last second, God turned his face away from his own son because of the sin that Jesus was bearing for us. And then, on the third day, he rose again. And the resurrection is proof, proof positive, that what God needed was sufficed, that sin was taken care of forever. That's what we have today. So that's what you have, folks. The mercy of God is also receiving first the grace of God, which comes through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the resurrection that we will all experience when we come to that throne of grace. And you'll either be told, well done, faithful servant, or be gone, I never knew you. Which one are you? I'd like to close with this verse. Hebrews, it says, let us draw near, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy. We got them two words together like that. And may find grace to help in time of need. So there it is. There's your biblical verse for you to take away today. Memorize that one. That's a good one. We must ask with the right heart, humble heart, ready to repent and turn away from our sin that so entangles are you ready to do that? Are you ready to receive the really true peace and mercy and grace that only God can give? If you're looking for it in the world, you're not going to find it. It's not there. It's in the heart of Jesus Christ. And he died and gave himself for us so that we could have that. And you can have it right now today. It doesn't have, you don't have to wait. It can be done today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this psalm that was written while the people journeyed back to Jerusalem to build, rebuild the temple. And Lord, they sang these songs. They sang them to you, the only true God. And Lord, as we sing now these verses that uh, we're going to worship together with, 
pray, Lord, speak to our hearts, draw us to yourself, open up our eyes so that we can receive the truth and grace and mercy and love that you have for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.